Last week we talked about the Reformation, how it was the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, and that the world needs reformers. We need reformers. In fact, Christians are in the business of reform. Heart change. Heart change. The right kind of reform. We're not into moralism and just rearranging your morals, which as one commentator said is like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. Jesus cares about the heart and only God can change the heart. And we're called to be reformers. We said last week that it's, it's not just for a select few. We think of Martin Luther and John Calvin and, and the other reformers. But we are in the business of reform. Making disciples means that people must stop following the wrong leader and start following Jesus. That's going to mean change and reform. You and I are in the business of reforming. First and foremost, though, reform has to start in your own heart. If you're going to be an effective reformer, you need to be about change in your own heart. So this morning we're going to look at two heart attitudes necessary for the effective reformer. Two heart attitudes necessary for the effective reformer. And we'll accomplish this by looking at the Pharisees who were reformers in their own right who had gone astray. Reformers who had gone astray. By the time we see the Pharisees in the New Testament, they had gone way off the mark. But they didn't start out this way. And if we don't talk about their history, we might be tempted to just look at the Pharisees never as an example for us. And only as someone to boo and hiss, as if we were at some vaudeville melodrama. There are people just like you and I. And originally their intentions may have been in the right place. So we, we have a lot to learn from this group. Let me first read the text though. Luke chapter 14 verses 1 to 14. It happened that when he went into the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees on the Sabbath to eat bread, they were watching him closely. And there in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. And Jesus answered and spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent. And he took hold of him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which one of you will have a son or an ox fall into a well? And will not immediately pull him out on a Sabbath day. And they could make no reply to this. And he began speaking a parable to the invited guests when he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him. And he who invited you both will come. And say to you, give your place to this man. And then in disgrace you proceed to occupy the last place. But when you are invited, go and recline at the last place. So that when the one who has invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. 
For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And he also went on to say to the one who had invited him, And when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your neighbors or brothers, your relatives or rich neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return, and that will be your repayment. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This is the word of our Lord. We are reformers, pastors, teachers, politicians, nonprofit leaders. These are the obvious, but elder board members, school board members, parents. You've got little ones who need reform. Or just friends, one friend calling another to repentance, or probably more naturally, one friend helping another with their struggles. The world needs reformers. But the question is, what happens when the reformers fail to realize that they themselves need reformation? You will not be an effective reformer if you don't first recognize your own need for reformation. The world needs reformers even though we said last week they are often persecuted. You cannot sit out on this task as a Christian and let others do the discipling. Jesus commanded all of us to go and make disciples. Baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that he has commanded. Yes, there are people we officially called missionaries And we send them out or we go ourselves, we support them, we pray for them, and we love them, and yet we are all called to make disciples. So some want to avoid persecution or avoid the hard work of helping someone to change. We said last week that people are resistant to change, they don't like change, they don't like being told they need to change. And so many people shy away from being an agent of reform because they're people pleasers. They don't want anyone to be mad at them. But this is not optional. This is something we are all called to do. Today, though, we're going to focus more on the other end of the spectrum, those who like to reform way too much. They believe it is their sole calling in life to tell everyone where they need to change. And instead of coming alongside people and say, let's change together, they've convinced themselves that their right to tell others to change is rooted and grounded in their own righteousness. Since I do everything right, I have the right to tell you where you're doing everything wrong. Now, certainly, there are qualifications if we're going to speak truth into people's lives. If you're currently in sin, you've lost your ability to speak truth into people's lives currently. Sometimes evangelicalism puts 
people back into the pulpit or back into leadership far too quickly. It's pretty hard to tell people, do as I say and not as I do. So we're not talking about that, for sure. The Pharisees were these people who had become convinced of their own perfection. And therefore they had the right to tell others about their imperfections. So those are the two extremes. I don't want to get involved in reform because it's messy business and I might experience persecution. I might lose a friend. You've got the holidays coming up. You've got unsaved family members. It's always that difficult choice at the Thanksgiving table when Uncle Bob says something ridiculous Politically or spiritually, do I say something or I just say pass the potatoes? Let the Holy Spirit guide you. But I'll help you this morning with the two heart attitudes that you need to be an effective reformer. We'll get to that at the end of the sermon. So you've got to wait. Stick around to the end. Stay awake. My daughter asked for keys to my office so she could get a cup of coffee. She said, Daddy, I need a cup of coffee before the sermon. That'll keep you humble. (laughs) She probably made it a double. So the rest of you will just have to like take notes to stay awake. What are these two hard attitudes that we need? The Pharisees started out as as actually good reformers. They had this idea, let's get back to the Scriptures. Let's get back to the Scriptures. Let's get back to the law of God. Let me read to you from the MacArthur Commentary on Luke. The sect originated during the intertestamental period. That's the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament. That 400-year period where God's prophetic word went silent. They still had the Old Testament as the prophetic word. Phariseeism was born out of a spiritual revolt against the influence of Greek and Roman thought and culture on the Jewish people. It was a call to be separated from the world. In fact, we think Pharisee is uh, most likely derives from a Hebrew verb meaning uh, to separate. Separate from paganism and return to a strict adherence to the Old Testament law. Amen, we would say. That's what we're doing. Maybe not a strict adherence to the law, because that's part of the problem with reformers that we all need to be on guard against is missing the spirit of the law for the letter of the law. Because here's what happens to the fallen human heart. When I miss the spirit of the law for the letter of the law, and when the letter of the law is not accomplishing what I want, then I'll replace the letter of the law with my own law. All right, So you miss the spirit of the law for the letter of the law. The letter of the law is not accomplishing what I want, so I'll replace the letter of the law with my own interpretation of the law and my own application. 
And I will turn my private interpretation and my private application into a new law. And since this private interpretation and private application is kind of the way I see the world anyways and is aligned to my preferences and my strengths, it's pretty easy for me to keep. And so we begin to demand that others keep the law as fastidiously as we do, and it turns out it may not be the law at all. It could just be our own rules, our own preferences. This is what had happened to the Pharisees. So my charge to you this morning is we need to be reformers, but we need to be on guard against Phariseeism as we've come to to know it. And that's only going to happen if you intentionally put safeguards in your life to guard against deluding yourself into thinking that you're better than you really are. You have to walk away from the sermon and think about how you're going to intentionally put some safeguards into your life. You're going to have to have people in your life that can speak truth into your life. Let you know when you're missing the mark. I'll talk more about strategies at the end of the sermon. The Pharisees were a lot like conservative evangelicals of today in in many regards. In many regards. They had no interest in politics. We're, we're, we're not supposed to be real invested in, in politics. We should get involved in the political process for sure. We should vote. But the change we're looking for is an eternal change that happens when hearts are changed by the gospel. And too often when we're too focused on politics, we lose the gospel. The Sadducees and the Zealots, these were the hyper-political groups of their time. Uh, Nor were they like the mystics. Uh, Those are the Essenes. The Pharisees weren't those who went and found a cave and just meditated all day long. They actually wanted to see real change in the culture. In contrast to the Sadducees, who were mostly wealthy priests or Levites, the Pharisees were laymen and generally came from the middle class. Although few in number, about 6,000 at the time Jesus walked the earth, they had widespread influence with the common people to whom they taught the law in local synagogues. They were the synagogue leaders. They were these middle class, regular folk, Synagogue leaders, a lot like a pastor. It's kind of starting to sound like me, middle class, leader of the church, calling for biblical fidelity and separation from the world. Amen. Confessions of a modern day Pharisee. (laughs) So where did it all go wrong? They eventually tried to reform others apart from the Scriptures and humility. They stopped putting themselves in the category of people who need reform. I'm one in need of reform, 
preaching to others in need of reform. And somewhere along the way, it became someone who is done being reformed, telling others who need lots of reform that they need to change. And the scriptures are too complicated, so I've come up with some rules you could follow that will ensure that reform will happen. And isn't this the way it always has happened in history? You take the word of God away from the people and say, listen to the experts, we'll tell you. And reformation always happens by bringing people back to the word of God. Back to the word of God. That's the agent of change, the word of God. That's where the authority is. That's where the power is. Ironically, the Pharisees viewed those common people from whom they came in a condescending fashion as ignorant of the law and beneath them. Eventually, the rabbinic traditions that the Pharisees increasingly superimposed on the Old Testament became a crushing burden impossible for the people to bear. What did Jesus say? You weigh people down with heavy burdens, and then what? You don't lift a finger to help them. So there's the danger. You replace God's word with your own private interpretation and your own private application, and then you turn that into the law, which, of course, you're really good at keeping because it's your private interpretation and your private application. And then you place yourself above others and look down on them. And you believe that that is what gives you the right to call others to change. Let me show you the heart of a Pharisee on display. We'll take a sneak peek ahead at Luke 18. And you're familiar with this parable, probably. Jesus said, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Folks, you couldn't get uh, more extreme opposites. The Pharisee, culturally, was the most righteous person, the tax collector, the least righteous person. So there you go. You've, you've got complete opposites at the temple, and the Pharisee says, standing by himself, because he would never stand next to a tax collector and be defiled, as if sin could rub off on you just by being near someone, He prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Wow. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers are even like this tax collector over here. I wonder if he prayed that loud enough for the tax collector to hear. You know, you don't need to hear, do you? You can pick up on the attitude very easily. The condescending looking down your nose. Now be careful. We've preached many times about also how intoxicating the victim mentality is. I've met people who think everybody's looking down on them all the time. 
You've got your own repenting to do. Good golly, get over yourself. In this case, though, we know that this tax collector is of humble heart because the rest of the parable has the tax collector beating on his breast and saying, have mercy on me, a sinner. Whereas the Pharisee is saying, thank you, God, I'm not like other people. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get, right? And in his mind, he's going through the checklist of all the things that make him a righteous person. I bet the poor fast more than he does, but it doesn't count as fasting if you're just starving. You have to have access to food in order to technically fast. And if you don't have anything, you can't tithe. Although mathematically, 10% of zero is zero, so... How, how are the poor supposed to be righteous like this Pharisee if they have no food from which to fast and no money with which to tithe? And how are they supposed to take an entire day off on the Sabbath when they're just barely scraping by day to day not knowing where the next meal's coming from? Now, when you delude yourself into thinking you are better and wiser and holier than others... Then you will have no problem judging and condemning others. And, and here's where it gets really bad, the very things that are making you self-righteous, since you believe these are good things, you're going to be motivated to do more of what? The same things that are making you self-righteous. So you just keep doubling down. You just keep turning up the heat on your own hypocrisy this is what makes me a good person this is what separates me from the pack this is what gives me the the moral high ground to speak truth into people's lives i would never tell people that i'm struggling because a i don't struggle and b i would then lose my ability to be a reformer. Look, if, if I'm one of you, then what business do I have being a reformer? Or as one counselor used to say, you're in my office, I'm not in yours. Never understanding that you'll be a far more effective reformer if occasionally people might hear Hey, here's where I struggle with this. Hey, here's how the Lord has helped me. Let me come alongside you as a fellow struggler, as a fellow person in need of reformation, and let's figure this out together. Well, why should I listen to you? Because I know somebody who is perfect. And he is the most compassionate, merciful counselor, reformer you'll ever meet. Come meet Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, friend of sinners. Be transformed into his image, not mine. 
That's what we need to be as reformers. Prideful reformers believe it is their job to fix everyone else. And they believe that the job qualifications for fixing everyone else is not needing fixing yourself. Luke 14, 1, back to the, the text. It happened that when he went into the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees on the Sabbath to eat bread, they were watching him closely. Folks, you should watch Jesus closely. <laughs> That's great advice. But not for the reason they were. They were watching him to catch him in the act of making a mistake so they could publicly humiliate him or publicly condemn him. In fact, he was invited over to the house uh, for, for two reasons. One was that the prideful host wanted to increase his own public stature by having a celebrity over to the house. This was the way the game was played back then. This was not a lunch party like the way you have, where you just want to hang out with people you love and and break bread and have a good time. There were ulterior motives going on here. Remember that the place where people ate was often an open courtyard where outsiders could see who was invited to the house. And oftentimes, other people were allowed to stand around the table and listen to the conversation. So imagine you had a dinner party and you set up a tripod and FaceTime was going straight to your Facebook page. So everybody could see the impressive group of people that were assembled at your house and listen to you pontificate to the crowd, how wise you are. This is what is going on here. So on the one hand, uh, Jesus, being the celebrity that he was at this time, was a great invitee. Everyone would find out and it would draw a crowd. And it's like a television show host that wants to increase their ratings by having on whoever is in the news at the moment. But there was another motive at work, and that was we're going to invite Jesus on the Sabbath and then invite over a man with dropsy. And we've heard that up in the north, up in Galilee, Jesus has been healing on the Sabbath And we would like to catch him in the act. You see the irony that these people were judging God? They have God at their table, God in human flesh. And they're closely watching God for God to make a mistake. Now the only way God would make a mistake, and I'm saying that tongue in cheek with all reverence due to God, God is perfect, He is good, in Him is no darkness or sin. We would have to create another law of our own 
for God to make a mistake. Now, he's not making a mistake. He's just breaking our own law. And this is the foolishness of sin, that we place ourselves above God and then hold him accountable to our own law. This is, was going on. Not just in the heart, but now it's actually going on. God is there, and they're going to accuse God of being a lawbreaker. Jesus knew this was a trap. Of course he knew. He's God. You're not getting anything past God. And there in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Dropsy is uh, edema. His, he was swollen all, all over. Probably due to maybe kidney failure or liver failure. The point being the man uh, was obviously sick, uncomfortable, in need of compassion, and they were using him as bait. Could you imagine anything more insensitive? And the theology of the day, remember, was that sickness was tied to sin. And dropsy in the same way as leprosy was one of the more uh, obvious manifestations that somebody was plagued with tons of sin and um, uncleanness. It's, it's oozing out of you. Often people with dropsy, their skin would ooze. The, the, the tissues would, the extra fluid would ooze. So people with this condition became a, like a visual representation of there's somebody with so much sin that it is just puffing them up and oozing out of them. There's no way Pharisees would ever invite somebody like this to a meal. The only reason this guy got invited was to set Jesus up. And they chose someone, not somebody who was paralyzed or blind, but they picked a disease that everyone associated with sin. And you're not inviting a leper over because they were not allowed to come over at all. They had to live apart from the rest of society, but dropsy was the next best thing. So we're going to invite this guy over who has dropsy, and um, we're going to do it on the Sabbath, and we're pretty sure Jesus is going to heal this guy, and everyone will see and will have something against him. He's broken a law. Jesus beats him to the punch. And he asks the Pharisees and the lawyers, the scribes, who, who know their Old Testament. Nobody's denying that they know the Scripture. They know the Scriptures better than we do. Letter of the law. Letter of the law. They had whole sections memorized, and some of them had it all memorized. They weren't bogged down with TV shows and whatnot. They had a lot more time for memory work. And it was a way to set yourself apart from others in the culture. 
These were the important people, the accomplished people. And so Jesus asks a simple question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? (laughs) You know, like, we all know why you invited me here. We all know why you invited this guy here. Let's get to it. Stop beating around the bush. Is it lawful or not for me to do what I'm about to do? And they kept silent. They kept silent. They knew it wasn't unlawful according to the scriptures, but they had made it unlawful according to their traditions. If I, if I could add a verse to the Bible right around here, I would add, and Jesus said, I thought so. And then Jesus dropped the mic and walked out. That's for the young people. I guess that's what you do when you know you have an airtight argument. Mic drop, and you just walk off. There's, there's no comeback for that. He says, but they, they kept silent. And false reformers are often blind to their own hypocrisy. So Jesus is going to expose their hypocrisy now publicly. And he took hold of him and healed him and sent him away, which was very merciful. Merciful in that he healed him and merciful, you can go now so these people can't use you anymore. Go be free. Go tell, go tell people of God's mercy. Go show people God's mercy. I'm staying here because I got some more work to do. The doctor is still in. Because ironically, the guy who came in, swollen, left, healed, and the person who thought they didn't need to be healed were still swollen. Swollen with pride, swollen with self righteousness, oozing with self-righteousness and condescension towards others. They're the ones with the disease. And he exposes their hypocrisy and he said, which one of you will have a son or an ox even, never mind a human being but an ox, fall into a well and will not immediately pull him out on a Sabbath day and they could make no reply to this. And maybe that would be a good place for the, I thought so. At that point, you and I would just want to get up and walk out. Jesus is going to stay and eat because, by golly, they invited him over and he's staying. And now they're going to have to listen. They've got nothing to say now. False reformers are also blind to their own need for reform. I love this line. And he began speaking a parable to the invited guest when he noticed, see, they were observing God, but guess who was observing them? When we become blind to our own sin, we forget that God is watching us as well, and he knows our heart better than we do. That ought to cause us to be humble. 
In fact, if you told these Pharisees, don't you understand God is watching you as well? They would probably say, oh, we know, and he likes what he sees. Which is why we're in the position we're in, and you're in the position you're in. They don't get it. So God incarnate is sitting at their table, and he's been taking some notes of his own. And now it's his turn. And you notice how they've been picking out the places of honor at the table. So, the closer you sit to the host, the better the seat of honor, right? Especially the right hand would be the greatest seat of honor. And the farthest away from the host would be the least honorable seat. And so, in come the guests and the game is on. The game is afoot. There's no placards. Who's going to sit where? And I'm sure there was a lot of, uh, Abraham, uh, you ought to sit here. Oh, no, no, Moshe. This is your seat. Lots of false posturing. Even though in their minds they're thinking, that's my seat over there. Can Can you believe Probably after lunch. Can you believe where he sat? Really? Let's not kid ourselves into thinking that this is something that only happened 2,000 years ago. It sometimes goes on around our own tables. Our ministries, our boards. We used to be better at hiding it, and now thanks to social media, we kind of know where everybody's stands. And they don't realize they're publishing it to the world for all to see. So he, he noticed this. I wonder where they had him sit. I wonder where Jesus sat. Those who think they can judge others have a high opinion of themselves. Again, this is what makes people think they have the right to tell other people that they need to change. You have to have this high opinion of yourself But Jesus says this, and he says it in a parable. And remember parables? For those who really want to know what Jesus is teaching, parables explain the truth. For those who don't want to know what Jesus is teaching, parables hide the truth. It's a form of judgment. He's hiding the truth from the hard-hearted, and he's teaching truth to the tender-hearted. When you're invited by someone to a wedding feast which would be the most important of all dinner parties. You think our weddings were extravagant. You should read about weddings back then. They went on for weeks and everybody came and it was a big deal. When you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him. 
I like going to weddings, especially when I don't have to perform it. <laughs> I like to just sit and, with my wife and, and just take it all in and be reminded of our own wedding and people watch. And every wedding, there's at least one lady there, young lady, who is way overdressed for the occasion. She didn't get the memo that this event is about these two. And let's be honest, it's really just about the bride. That's what I tell the grooms in the little room over there where we pray with the groom and the groomsmen, and he's all nervous. And I say, why are you nervous? There's all those people out there, and they're going to look, be looking at me, and I might mess up. I'm like, I got news for you. Nobody's looking at you. they're all looking at the same person you're going to be looking at and the bride's never nervous she's radiant I mean like five seconds before she walks out it's bridezilla but then she walks through those doors and she's glowing and it's this beautiful thing But there's always like people at a wedding who are like, it's all about me. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Even at a wedding. Ah. That's the people Jesus is talking to. You you think it's all about you. You're worried about your honor. You're worried about your respect. They haven't figured out that people who are honored are are people who aren't all worried about their honor. There's nothing uglier than somebody parading themselves around as the most important person on the planet at somebody else's wedding. (laughs) And he who invited you both will come and say to you, (laughs) you the amplified version, dude. (laughs) Really? You're sitting there? Give your place to this man. And then in disgrace, you proceed to occupy the last place. Is this not the root of so many problems? Thinking more highly of yourself than you ought. And I understand in this context, it's what makes counselors and reformers and teachers and preachers and politicians think, well, these are my credentials for telling people to change. But people change when they trust that you love them, you know you need change as well, and we realize collectively that Someone has to lead. It's just the way God has set up the world. And so, we want one of us to lead us. And the Pharisees are confused because they're like, then why would I be leading? If I wasn't better than you, why lead? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons, one God, no one superior to anyone else, but the Son willingly submitting to the Father and the Holy Spirit submitting to the Father and the Son. 
inferiority of roles does not imply inferiority of essence. So yes, there are certain qualifications to be a reformer. But the first qualification for us humans is realizing I need to be reformed. So Jesus is using this as evidence to help these people see their need for reform. This is a wonderful strategy for helping people change. You've got to live life with them. You have to know them. You have to be patient. And eventually you'll see some patterns. You'll see some patterns. And then you can humbly submit those patterns. Hey, here's something I see that happens often. And before you jump to, and so therefore I know this is what's going on in your heart, you just say, look, here's, here's what I see, what's going on. Hear what they have to say. May not be what you thought. You may not have all the information. But Jesus did say what? You will know a tree by its fruit and out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, hey, I heard you say these things. I saw you post these things. I'm finding that people are way more authentic from the heart about what they post. Like stuff they would never say face to face. There it is. Screenshot. (laughs) You posted it. You said it. Hey, so I was just sitting here at the dinner party and watching all you guys kind of scramble for the best seats. No, we... Yeah, we, we were. Yeah, busted. You, you, you can't hide it. He was there. He was watching. He could tell you. And then you said this to this guy, and then he said this, and then... And so a good reformer does this, but you don't do it in such a way where you're like, Aha! Look, I caught you in the act. I have found that where people generally struggle with reform, when you show them their deeds or show them their words, where they get caught up is they say, but that's not me. And I have to guard my heart from sarcastically saying, well, apparently it is, because there it is. But I understand now what's going on in their heart. They've lost sight of Romans 7, where Paul explains to us that we are two natures. We are the old sin nature, the old man, and we are also the new creation in Christ. We are simultaneously those two things until we get to glorification, right? And where would-be reformers blind themselves is they've forgotten that the old man is still there. They've forgotten that there's still that struggle with the sin nature. And Paul says, I 
I find this at work inside me. The very things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this bondage? Praise be to God, right? Through the Lord Jesus Christ. When I counsel couples, I try to help them to see, yes, your spouse is a blend of the old man and the new. And so are you. And so that means you can have grace for them because you need grace. When relationships start to fall apart, it's because the parties have both focused on the other person's weaknesses and only on their own strengths. And so when you hit a stalemate, it's because there's two people who are like, I'm doing everything right. They're doing everything wrong. And they're afraid if they say, yes, I'm a sinner, it will be used against them in a court of law. Aha, you admit it. And eventually somebody can't, can't usually one party's better at hiding the sin than the other. One's the yeller, one's the angry person, one's the... And so you're like, well, you're the one who yelled. You're the one who spewed profanities. You're the one who chucked the plate across the room, not me. And the person will come in and they'll say, but that's not me. And I'm like, apparently it is. Did you or did you not throw the plate? I did. Okay, that's you. Own up to it. But it's not who I want to be. That's good. But you have to admit that's you. And in Christ, that's forgiven. Eternally. But in our sanctification, each day you have to kill that part of you. Suffocate it. Choke it out. And cultivate the new creation in Christ. That's how we help people change. That's how you're a reformer. Be honest about who you are, but cling to the cross and say, praise God, I'm not completely the man I used to be. And each day I'm becoming more like Christ. That's somebody that I want to help me change. Isn't that the person you'd want to help you change? Not... Well, maybe if you clean up your act someday, you, you could do what I do. Well, when do I get there? I'll let you know. Well, it's never coming. <laughs> so what are the two hard attitudes we're looking for? Number one, reformers are more effective when they are humble. Reformers are more effective when they are humble. It's counterintuitive. I know it sounds right, but then why don't more people follow this strategy? Because they're convinced that if I'm going to tell people to change, I have to be good and perfect at everything. Now, you, Well, certainly you can't disqualify yourself through habitual sin. But that's not what we're talking about here. Everyone's a sinner saved by grace. Amen? Amen. The people I want to go to to help me change are other people who are 
realizing and acknowledging their own need for change. Hey, let's go do this together. Today, I'll help you. Tomorrow, you might help me. We'll help each other in the process. So Jesus says, but when you are invited, go and recline at the last place so that when the one who has invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you for everyone who exalts himself publicly will be humbled publicly and he who humbles himself publicly will be exalted publicly. When I first came to COBC as a pastor, I was hired to be the children's pastor because they needed help with the children's ministry. And I received a wonderful piece of advice from a mentor at my seminary. He said, don't change a thing for a year. Just serve in love. I'm like, yeah, but they're asking me to go and change things so they know they need change. It doesn't matter. Even though they're begging for change until they trust that you love them. All they're going to hear is everything we did was wrong. All the years of ministry and volunteering and pouring blood, sweat, and tears into this. So, roll up your sleeves and get dirty. And then when you understand what's going on and you understand the heart of the people and how the culture of that church works, say, you know what, here's, here's some changes. Now, of course, if there's something immediate, crisis mode, you have to make changes. But all too often, how quickly when we're given permission to change, we think it's going to be like a, a, a gut job, right? I like to watch those home shows because it's about the last thing on TV that isn't laced with profanity and sex and blah, 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 blah. So watching people renovate their bathroom. That's what, that's what we have left, people. <laughs> and they'll probably take that away from us soon too, you know. But, but I love when they have someone come over and they just, they just want a, a, a few... T- Changes here so they can sell their house and the people come in and say, nobody's buying this thing. Sorry, the people are just crushed because they're like, really, is it that bad? Oh, yeah. And they don't have time to build trust. But when you're talking about changing someone's heart, you've got to take time to build trust. And the best way to do that is for them to see your humility. You can't like put it on a business card, you know. Joe, agent of change, humility, love, integrity. It doesn't work that way. Much better if someone says, hey, you should go talk to Joe. He's very humble and he's loving and he's compassionate. Better to have somebody say, hey, you don't belong in that seat. You belong in this seat. Hey, we really think you'd be great at this ministry. Who, me? Works a lot better than, you know who'd be great at this ministry? Why haven't the elders called me? You know what I did at my last church and the one before that and the one before that and the one before that? Why so many churches, friend? (laughs) We're a little nervous here. 
You're going to pick up and leave when the going gets tough like you did at your last six churches? We'll put you in that position when we trust that you're here to love. And you're not going to run at the first sign of trouble because there's going to be trouble in church, right? Lots of sinners hanging out here. We're going to sin against each other. It's only going to work if we're humble together. Share stories about reform in your own life. How God has helped you with this struggle or is currently helping you with this struggle. What scriptures and circumstances God used to help you. Pharisees would never do this. Struggles? What struggles? Or if they did have struggles, I can't tell people about them because then I would lose my leverage. I would lose my position of power and my position of authority. Second attitude we're looking for then is that reformers are more effective when they love those they are calling to reform. Man, my heart's breaking for you. You're living in bondage. I was there. Come, let's be free. Come meet Jesus. He'll set you free. And he also went on to say to the one who had invited him, so the host that put this whole charade together, and you, my friend, (laughs) you're not getting off easy. Next time you have a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. There goes your Thanksgiving dinner, right? You're like, no, that's not what this is talking about. Go ahead and invite your family and, and, and your neighbors and your relatives. Like, Pastor Brent just blew up our Thanksgiving plans. No, he, he knew the heart of the host wasn't to bless the people and hang out with them over breaking of bread. It was a strategically chosen guest list. What might I get from this guest? And if I invite this guy over, now he owes me a favor. And that's how the game was played in that culture. And sadly, it's often played that way in our own culture. Every once in a while, I'll meet someone who gives me a gift and you just know there's strings attached. A lot of times it's someone giving the gift as a get-out-of-jail-free card. So later, when you go to confront them about something, how could you? I gave you that gift. And this is the thanks I get. Yeah, this is the thanks you get. I'm helping you to see where you need to repent. I'm being loving. Thank you for the cookies. (laughs) You give cookies, this is what I give. (laughs) Don't stop giving me gifts. <laughs> I, I, won't, I won't second guess you. You can really tell though. Because they're dripping with like, Pastor, here. Like, uh-oh, what are you mixed up in? It's going to take more than a dozen cookies to a guy who has gluten intolerance to get you off the hook. <laughs> oh, goodness. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, basically people who can't pay you back. Expect nothing in return when you bless people. Hey, come over to my house for dinner. Why? Because I love you and I want to hang out with you. Oh, 
Okay. And we'll build a relationship. And then maybe down the road, when I need help changing or you need help changing, we've got what I like to call spiritual capital. There's, there's some money deposited in the bank. So on that day when you need to make a withdrawal, there's something there. You just can't go up to people that you haven't loved and say, you need to change and I'm the person who's going to bring about the change. Who are you? Well, I have this title. I've got this perfect life. Whatever. It just it doesn't work that way. The people who we're going to let into our life to help us change, even if we know, yeah, I know I need change. It's just going to work better when it's somebody you know is humble and someone who's loving and you can't go around telling people I'm humble and loving. It has to be demonstrated and earned. People have to say that about you. Hey, you should go talk to Pastor Nathan. He's humble and loving. He ain't going to beat you up. He's going to love on you. He's going to weep with you. And when you need to be told what you need to hear, he's going to tell you. That's what we're looking for. So... You might have some opportunities this holiday season to talk reform. It's always, always a tough call, right? You always got that uncle who's talking politics or saying stuff about the church, you know, and you're like, we haven't even brought out the pie yet. Do we want to go there? If they know you're humble and they know you love them, you have a much better opportunity to get through to them. That means you're going to have to be a humble and loving person. Well, I guess I just won't be a reformer then. Come on, people. That's not the answer. You can't call for reform without the gospel, and you can't preach the gospel without love and humility. The gospel's all about love and humility. Paul says it this way in Philippians 2. Right? Have this attitude amongst yourselves. Consider others more important than yourself. Be like Christ, who being fully God did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but taking on the form of a man, of a bondservant, humbled himself even to the point of death and death on a cross. And now he is exalted to the highest place. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess he is God. That's the attitude we need to have. Humble ourselves, see other people's issues as more important than your own, and they will let you into their life to introduce them to Jesus and be an agent of change. Father God, thank you. Make us humble and loving like your son. In his name we pray, amen. Amen. God bless you.